I would like to share a, just for a few minutes here a word on my heart for the day, and then I'm going to have uh, Doc Coons come up and lead us in communion together before we uh, break bread together. Matthew 13, if you have a Bible, could go to that. If not, you can follow along on the, on the screen. Matthew chapter 13. How many of you all know that we are in the final hours? It's drawing near. So I pray, Lord, in these final hours that we would have ears to hear. I pray that we would be sober unto prayer. I pray that we would be wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil, Lord. I ask, Father, that we would be like those wise virgins, with oil in our lamps, Lord, prepared and ready for the voice of the bridegroom. I pray that we would not be consumed with and distracted by earthly things, but I pray for eyes lifted up on heavenly things, eagerly awaiting your return, God. So I pray that this word today would do great damage against the spirit of lethargy that's on us, Lord. I pray for great damage against uh, lukewarmness to, to settle down here in Babylon and not look for our eternal home. And I pray, Father, that you would change our hearts and minds, that we would long for your appearing, Lord. Matthew chapter 13 has this beautiful parable, one of the many parables of the, of the weeds that are sown uh, in the midst of a wheat field by the enemy. In verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. And the, when the wheat sprouted and when it formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The weed starts and germinates. There's a small sprout, and then it grows up into the full head. It's how it works. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied, and the servant said, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them, not fully ripe yet. You might uproot something that has some time to go, to develop. So let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles and be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Later on, the disciples said, explain this to us. In verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The, we the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, right where we're at right now. And the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything, the weeds that cause sin, everything that causes sin and who do evil. Everything in the church that causes sin, everything that is engaged in doing evil, he'll weed it out. 
and they'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The reason he said, verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father is because it's the one and only place where Daniel 12.3 is referenced. And you don't have to turn there right now, but he wants us to think about Daniel 12 as we read this in Matthew 13. And in Daniel 12, the last chapter of this big prophetic book, he's talking about the end of the age. And he says, multitudes at that time, everyone whose name found in the book of life will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. He's referencing for us that there is a growing glowing that's happening in the church at the end of the age. There's a growing brightness that's coming of the church. Simultaneous to Daniel 12 talks about the wicked will be wicked still. They'll actually grow in their darkness and their wickedness. So we've got these two, and I've said this before, we've got the, the weeds and the wheat simultaneously developing in the age right now. Can you feel it? And so there's this push for darkness to get darker. And there's this push for the, the brightness of the church to get brighter. And we all know where this is heading. This is heading to a massive cutting down at the end of the age. This is leading to a massive war, an incoming of a new king, of the rightful king, taking over the planet. We're headed for a gigantic battle in the Valley of Armageddon. Everybody excited? Do not fear, little flock. Why? Because actually the manifestation of the church in all of her glory and brightness will be because the manifestation of the weeds and all of its darkness and evil is coming to pass. The very sign that you are being developed and we are being developed into the people of God, holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle, is what's happening outside the doors of the church. The very sign of the coming kingdom is the ever-present and increasing darkness. Do not live in fear. These things must be, Jesus says. Let the wicked be wicked still. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean we're not praying for revival. It does not mean we're not praying for the lost to come in. But I tell you, church, do not live in fear when you see the days grow darker. Because there's a pulse that's happening right now. There's a flow in the spirit. The, the, let both grow together is saying there's momentum in both camps. And so what you're feeling, the momentum you sense in the spirit is growth and maturity unto brightness and boldness and letting the river flow out from within you. Can you sense the momentum? And so the word is agree with the flow inside of you right now. 
Agree with what the Spirit is doing in the earth. And do not get your mind and do not get your eyes on the darkness around you. Ephesians 3, if you would go there with me, is something I I just about preached a couple of weeks ago and sat on it. I feel like it's for today. It just floors me. After this gigantic prayer for the Ephesians about knowing power, knowing his love, how long, wide, high, and deep, know the love that surpasses knowledge should be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. You have maybe some of the, the, the two highest verses of the New Testament here. Now to him who is able, verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, superabundantly more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, and you've heard it said before, the greater capacity of the church, the greater manifestation of God. God can do in you what you're allowing him to do through you. God can do through you what you're allowing him to do in you, rather. Superabundantly more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, comma, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The reason this blows my mind is because he puts us first in the sentence ahead of Christ Jesus' glory. Why the world would he do that? I've heard it said before in Christian circles, God doesn't share his glory with another. And that's almost true. It is true in the context that people mean it, like God's jealous and, and, and he's going to get the glory at the end. Amen and amen and amen. But that's not what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians 2 says, he called you through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of a God is this? What kind of a God would share glory with weak people like us? Jesus himself prayed in John 17. I have given, listen, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Everybody say, oh my. Come on. God has given us the same glory he's given to Jesus that we might be one. Now, are we the same as Jesus? No, 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 no. But my wife shares the glory that I share. If I'm honored, she's honored. If she's honored, I'm honored because we're one, right? And we've been called as the bride, guys, as the bride of Christ. And we've been invited into his very glory. Now, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now through all generations forevermore. Do you understand what's coming for us? I want to lay this out just for a few minutes before I end. What's coming for us, our minds are so little individually that it takes corporate-mindedness to understand the glory that's coming. It takes all of us together to wrap our mind around what he's about to do to us. This is why little petty arguments are so silly. Don't you know who you are, Paul says. Don't you know what you're about to do in judging angels? Now listen, he says in Ephesians 3, let there be glory in the church. And then he unpacks, what does this shining forth look like? 
the glory, the shining forth of a magnificent one, the reflecting back God in us to God, the reflecting back of his beauty, of his majesty, glory in the church, the shining back to him. What does that look like? Well, it looks like chapter four, unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because the glory of God is coming in the church. Unity. Unto what? Well, then we get to chapter four where he talks about the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up to maturity. The glory of God is coming. That means unity is essential because maturity is essential. He's bringing his body up into something. Why maturity? Well, right after that, we get into holiness. Don't think like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Not a hint, but rather thanksgiving. Don't speak falsehood. The glory of God is coming. That means we gotta be unified because only in our unity can we grow in our maturity. Only in our maturity can we understand what true holiness is. And then he goes on after that and he starts talking about wisdom. Be very careful then, chapter five, how you live as wise, not as unwise. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gets into good Christian order. Husbands, wives, children, parents. This is what master, slaves, this is what, this is what unity looks like, how it's all played out in relationships. The glory of God is coming. Unity, maturity, holiness, purity, wisdom, and ultimately kingdom order. Why? Because this is what's coming, chapter 5 in Ephesians, verse 27, verse 26. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy. That's me and you. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And why? To present the church to Jesus, to himself, a radiant church in splendor, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's where we're headed, church. I don't know about you, but I don't see a ton of this in the church today. I'm seeing some waywardness. I'm seeing adultery with the world. I'm seeing the love of the world. I'm seeing embracing sin, hints of sexual immorality, thinking like the world does. But I tell you, the Lord is going to get it done. And he's starting with his glory being manifest in the church. Let them both grow together, the wheat and the weeds. We want to take part and we want to agree with his growing process. Let me finish with some rapid fire reminders. And then I want Eric Loss to read a passage for us out of my translation, if you would, because I got it up there. Eric's voice is 10 times better. It's the King James voice, right? Come on. It's hard to, it's hard to. Philippians chapter two, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever struggled with not eagerly awaiting Jesus to come back? Meaning, I'm kind of okay here. I kind of want to think about retirement. I kind of want to think about the house. I kind of want to think about my family. I'm not really too concerned with the kingdom of heaven coming. 
He says, no, our citizenship is in heaven. When we understand that, there's an eager, there's a leaning into his appearing. Then go with me to Hebrews. Look at a few passages there. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith, the father of faith. It says, he was looking forward, verse 10, he was looking forward to a city, a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What city? Well, take a right to Hebrews chapter 12. This is a description, verse 22. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Now I just said, what was the city? But maybe I should ask now, who is the city? You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. What is the city? The heavenly Jerusalem. Who is the city? We are. The bride of Christ. That's what we're destined for here. So what is our response according to Hebrews 13? Take a page to your right. Starting in verse 13. So then because of this, let us go then to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Why? For here we do not have an enduring city. But we are, look, we are looking again. We're eagerly awaiting. Just like Abraham, we're looking for that future city. We're looking for the city that is to come. What does it look like? Eric, come on up here, buddy. Well, we get a super clear picture. Now, I'm going to have you read from right here to right here. Now, the Lord gave us an imagination that can be used for fleshly things. It can also be used for spiritual things. I want to challenge you, if you feel comfortable with this, to close your eyes and listen to the description of what's coming for us and where we're going to live. He's about to talk about a city that has walls on all four sides that are 1,400 miles long from here to San Francisco. And they're as high as they are wide. 1,400 miles high. The walls are about 200 feet thick. So from that white back door of the church to behind the baptistry is about 150 feet. Add another 50 on, that's about how thick the wall is going to be. Inside of the wall, on all four sides, there are three gates. Gigantic gates. They have to be. 200 feet thick. Think about how big that gate has to be. What is each gate made out of? A single pearl. Spaced out evenly, they're about 350 miles apart on each side. When you walk into the city, the streets are made of gold, but not yellow gold. It's transparent gold. And there's foundations that are multiple different colors. Good, good luck pronouncing all of the colors oh, in here, right? Yeah. All these different colors of foundations. The apostles. 
the 12 tribes. The names on the gates are the sons of Israel. We're going to be there just like that. Don't you know what's coming? The glory of the Lord is coming. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And I want you to look at it as he's reading to us here. The new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. One of the gates, or on the gates, were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter in, nor will anyone who does, who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. That city can only be built, and it could have only been designed by one entity. One person is God. The city whose builder and designer is God, the architect himself. Micah, if you would uh, come up here. The Lord himself shares his glory with us, and he gives us a little taste of what is to come. And he says, now, may there be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forevermore. So, whatever you're going through today, whatever this season looks like for you, I want you to know that everything will pale in comparison to the coming glory. These light and momentary afflictions, they they almost don't even count because of the surpassing glory that's coming upon us. We want to take part, we want to participate in the glory right now that he's given us and the glory that's coming and not give fear, anxiety, or worry a place in our hearts and minds in this season.